Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Do you ever feel like having a tantrum? Letting it all out. All the frustration, all the anger, all the worry, all the snot and all the tears, just letting it all out. When the frustration or the pressure gets too much, wouldn't it be great just to let it go? But we're also very British, most of us, aren't we? We know how to do the, the stiff upper lip thing, the inwardly seething, but outwardly holding it all together. I don't know if, like uh, me, you follow on Twitter, so very British, which sums us up really as a nation. Here's some of the tweets from the last few weeks. Uh, One of them saying, never feeling more livid than after saying, I think this guy was next and not being thanked. Or saying, yeah, could do to someone when the translation really is, that is a terrible plan. Please remain quiet while I quietly think of an alternative. Or maybe the worst thing of all, the quiet sorrow of watching the construction of a different sandwich to the one that you requested. Were I any other nationality, I would be able to say, no, that is not my sandwich. Please, could you make me something else? But us, no, we squirm and we seethe, we writhe inside. But on the top, it all looks so together, so calm and so compliant. Well, over these next few weeks, we're going to be learning about somebody who wasn't just quite so compliant. He let it all hang out whenever he didn't feel like it was going his way. He knew how it was to throw a tantrum. We're going to look at the story of Jonah. He wasn't really interested in doing what was expected of him, but inside rebelling against God. He threw all of his toys out of the pram and off he went in the opposite direction to everything that God was asking him to do. So we're going to be able to learn um, over these next few weeks from Jonah's disobedience, but also from his obedience as he chose to bring his life in line with what God had for him. And um, it's possible when we come to a book like Jonah, for people who've grown up in church to remember the songs and to remember the big bit of the story. But what we we really want to do today is to bring our hearts into a place of being able to receive from God something fresh that he would show us today. So if you don't know this story at all, you're in a good place um, to hear from God today. So let me read to you from Jonah chapter 1. It's right at the end of the Old Testament um, just after Obadiah and Amos. And you know, if you need to use your thing at the front to find out where it is, you do that without any guilt or worry. Jonah chapter one says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. 
After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the soldiers were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up and throw me in the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights." Let me pray for us that God would speak. Lord, we um, love to hear your voice. And Lord, we invite you this morning to bring your word to us in all of its fullness, in all of its truth, to encourage and inspire, to teach and to train, to rebuke and to correct us. Lord, we long to walk in your ways and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to take the word of God as it's open to us just now and do a deep work in our hearts and minds that we would walk in the paths that you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jonah is a prophet prophet one who speaks the words of God. And he appears um, elsewhere in the Bible, not just in the book that bears his name, but he actually appears in 2 Kings chapter 14. And it tells us that on that day, back in 2 Kings, he got the good job. He got the job of going to the people of Israel and telling them that they were going to be on the receiving end of great blessing. A word that was really easy to give 
and really easy to hear because those people actually didn't deserve great blessing in that day. So it was like Jonah was taking the winning, winning lottery ticket, the thing that nobody was expecting. He got to bring the bearer of great news. But today in Jonah chapter one, he gets the short straw. He's really at the back of the queue, the last one to get the jobs when they're being given out. He's being asked to go to Nineveh which is in Assyria, which is an enemy of the people of God. And he's been told to go there because the people there need to hear what God has to say to them. But the impression that you get is that the people there don't want to hear what God has to say to them. But God is really clear. The people of Nineveh are not living as I long for them to live in relationship with me and in obedience to me. Jonah I want you to go and to speak to them. Without Jonah, they're not going to know that they're making a terrible mess and that there are going to be consequences from the way that they're living. (sighs) Poor Jonah. Poor Jonah is exactly what Jonah thinks. And do you know what? Fair game to him, fair play. It's probably what we think too, which one of us would volunteer to take that job when it was given out and let Joan off the hook. It's not something at all that we would want to do. The prospect of going into a situation to face ridicule and humiliation. Why would you choose to do that? My younger child is going through a phase of the moment of thinking it is absolutely hilarious to take her toys and hide them in our big brother's bags. So that when he arrives at that sleepover with his friends, or school with all of his mates, because he's four years older than her, he's in S1 at secondary school, opens his bag, and there's Ken, or Barbie, or Woody, or whoever it happens to be that day. She thinks, hilarious. He thinks, complete humiliation. Well, this is what Jonah is facing here, but to the power of a hundred. This is humiliation on a massive scale. And he hates the idea of doing what God is asking of him. No inwardly seething, but politely conforming and getting on with what God is asking. No way, God, I am not doing this. You can give that job to somebody else or that job can be left undone, but it is not mine. And just to make sure that it's not mine, I'm getting on a boat and I'm heading in the opposite direction. And it does sound like that, doesn't it? Jonah digs around in his pockets, discovers he's got just the right fare, heads for the port and gets himself on a boat heading in a different direction. So that question, who is Jonah and why is he given this commission, probably isn't as important as the question, who is God and why has he given Jonah this commission? Why is he asked this of somebody? Is this not completely unfair to ask this of an ordinary man? Well, we've got to take time to remember the God that is that asks Jonah to do this, because this is the God who loves the people of Nineveh, and this is the God who loves Jonah, loves Jonah completely, 
loves Jonah's life, loves that Jonah's been walking with him, loves Jonah's obedience to him in 2 Kings, and wants Jonah to know him in a really deep way as he enters into the plans and purposes that God has for Jonah, as well as those that he has for the people that he wants to hear about him. He knows full well what he's asking Jonah to do. Since Genesis chapter 12, when God speaks to Abram and says, Abram, I want you to go because through you, I am going to make a people who are going to be a blessing to every single nation. Every person who walks this earth is going to hear about me through you because I'm going to bless you and you're going to pass that blessing on to other people. And Abraham walked in those ways. He sometimes felt a bit like Jonah. He sometimes threw his toys out the pram. He sometimes did what God wanted, but inside didn't really. And that line of um, commission and inheritance is passed all the way down to Jonah and to Jonah's ancestors. And you know, in those years, in those intervening centuries. God has known rejection. He's known the unfaithful way that his people have related to him. He's watched the people of Israel run off and love what other countries are doing and love the gods that those other countries have. And he's loved them and he's kept loving them. And he sent his prophets to tell those people that he still loves them. And he calls them back into relationship with him. God knows the pain of the rejection of people that he's made to love him. And so that is what he's calling Jonah into, to experience God's heart for God's world. And that they would do that together. So it's a big ask, but it's one of companionship. It's one of journey with God. It's one of digging deep with him into the why and the what for of this world that will change Jonah as it will change the people that he goes to. But you know what? Jonah doesn't want to go. He just doesn't want to go. We don't know exactly why, but he just doesn't want to go. He has gone. I don't know if you've ever resisted the call of God in your life. Know that he's asked you to do something for him. Maybe you've just pretended that you haven't heard him. Maybe he's asked you to speak to somebody about God and you've procrastinated over it so long that the opportunity has gone and then you've just pretended that probably you didn't hear him. Maybe he's asked you to trust him more with your stuff with your relationships, with your money, with your whole life. But it's been easier to hold on to those things and make them your own than it has been to trust him. Maybe you've stayed when you should have gone somewhere. Maybe you've gone somewhere when you should have stayed. It's not a good place to be. It's not a good place for us, and it's not a good place for other people. In the short term, it might actually feel better. We might be glad to be off the hook and feel the benefit 
of it. I'm sure Jonah, as he got onto the boat, was feeling pretty good that that commission was left behind. But it isn't good for him and it isn't good for the people that he's with. Do you know, it's possible as well not like Jonah to run in the opposite direction, but just not to fully enter into the things that God has for you. He gives you a call or he gives you a commission and you take one step, but no further. You know, maybe you've not run, but maybe you've not embraced that thing that God has for you. It's, um, it's nearly six years since I moved into Buxton. My apologies to any of you here who live in Buxton or ever have in your life. My heart didn't leap for joy when God provided a house for us in Buxton. It was where the grown-ups lived. I wasn't really at that time ready to be a grown-up. I'm not sure I'll ever really feel ready to be a grown-up. And we were in the adoption process and we were being told we needed a proper house. And so we were looking for a proper house. Now, when I arrived in Buxton, um, you were lucky if we washed the car once or twice a year. I have a neighbor who washes his car twice a week washes his windows every week, and I swear uses scissors to edge his grass. It was the burbs. I did not want to live in the burbs, thank you very much. If you'd spoken to me, you would have thought that I lived in the back end of nowhere. And that would be because that's what I was telling people. Where is that? Oh, it's the back end of nowhere. And when you get there, keep going, then you'll find my house. We used to say to people, call in when you're passing, knowing that nobody would ever be able to find us. It's actually still like Hansel and Gretel. When people come to our house, they have to leave a trail back to the main road, a good 10-minute walk, if they've any hope of finding their way back out. And you know, for the first couple of years, it was really hard for God to use me there because I didn't want to be there. I was physically there, but I wasn't there, not in the way God wanted me to be there, not embracing his plans and purposes, not loving people like he wanted me to love them. I mean, I was getting to know people. I wanted to know people. I wanted to have friends. I wanted my kids to have friends. So I was making an effort. Everything on the outside told you I was making an effort, but on the inside, Outwardly complying, but inwardly not engaging. Not in the way that God was calling me to. But you know, God's done a work in my heart. And six years later, I can tell you of all the places that God would call me and all of the things I would long for God to do in me and through me. I long to see God's kingdom come in that place. I long to see my friends and my neighbors come to know him. I want to use everything that God's given to us to bless those people and to respond to them with the love of the Father because God has broken my heart and because he's met with us there and because he's shown us people from his perspective and because they've loved us and they've blessed us. My husband this morning is in the Royal Infirmary having been removed from his appendix in the last 12 hours. Buxton could not have been kinder to me in these last 12 hours because God has done something significant in my heart and in my will and in what he has been able to do as a result of that. 
I long for God to break my heart more. Maybe you're somebody who's joined a missional community and you can tick that box that says, yeah, I go to a missional community like Caleb in Buxton or maybe in your workplace. Yeah, I pray for my work colleagues, people that sit next to me, the folk who have responsibility over me. I do that, tick that box. But what does it really look like for God to break our hearts for people and for places? That we wouldn't just go in body, but that we would go with a heart and a life that's ready. So we want to have that different perspective from Jonah. We want to be ready to do whatever God has for us. Because you see, God's, Jonah's disobedience here has significant consequences. This storm, this massive storm brews up and it affects himself and it affects everybody else. And the Bible is really clear that God sends the storm. And it is so bad here that the sailors are freaking out. They're chucking stuff overboard. They're trying to do everything that they can to stabilize the boat. And they are praying to everybody that they can think of to pray to. Whichever God is theirs, they are praying to them. They will take help wherever they can get it from. And Jonah, completely oblivious, fast asleep in the boat. I was chatting to a friend about this the other day. She said, I can't go to sleep at night if I haven't emptied the dishwasher. The thought of being Jonah fast asleep in a boat when all of those people are possibly perishing, including him. Where on earth does that peace come from in Jonah's life? Do you know, I think we might, some of us, I know I can, have a theory that if I'm disobedient to God... I'll have a disquiet and I'll know about it. And if I'm being obedient to God, I'll have a peace about it and that'll tell me that everything is okay. But yet Jonah is running in the opposite direction from God and he has a peace that's so calm that he can sleep through a howling gale. Because you know, an untroubled conscience isn't necessarily a sign that we're in the will of God. It has to be a peace that comes from God in a life lived in response to the will of God, whether that's his general will that we find in the words of his word, or whether it's a specific will that he's made known to us as he's spoken to us in words, pictures, and things that others have brought to us. We need to have them coupled together to say that I have peace, but I know that I'm living contrary to the word of God just doesn't fit. The two need to come together. Left to our own devices, it's really possible for us to convince ourselves of anything because the heart is deceitful above all things. And it brings to Jonah here a peace. Do you know, we need the unchanging truth of God to guard our judgments, and to guard our consciences. It is just possible that just now we are justifying in our own lives a course of action because we feel okay about it. And we're trusting that God would do something to our spirits or our conscience if it wasn't okay. But you know, God may already have spoken. 
He might have made it really clear. And we want to say today that we stop listening simply to our conscience, but to the word of God. It's time to sit up and listen to what God is saying. And that's what the sailors are wanting to do here. They could see that something was up. And even if Jonah wasn't going to fess up that it was to do with him, they were going to get to the bottom of it. So when they discover that Jonah is running away from the God of heaven and of sea and of land, they are terrified because they know you don't mess with the God of Israel. Okay, you might have a wee sacrifice or prayer to all of the different gods, but the one God, the God of Israel, you don't mess with him because he's the God who parts the seas. He's the God who sends the plagues. He's the God who holds back the darkness. He's the God that you need to obey. You do not mess around with him. So they are terrified because Jonah is messing around with the living God and he has brought them right into the thick of it and they did not ask to be there. So even when Jonah says to them, throw me overboard, do whatever it takes to get this mess sorted out, they don't want that because they don't, they don't want dirty hands. They don't want to have been involved in disobedience to the living God. The one who's supposed to be following him, he doesn't seem to mind, but the sailors who don't yet believe in him they know you don't mess. They see that God is behind the storm and fighting it is impossible. And so eventually the resolve that Jonah is going to have to go. And once he goes over the side of the boat, immediately peace comes. And not only does peace come to the boat, but faith comes to the boat and Jonah, who even in his faithlessness, God is at work bringing people to know him. I don't know if Jonah ever knows that that's what happens in that boat. But people come to know them. It is clear to Jonah and to these sailors that there is no other God but the living God. Whether you trust him is the question. Whether you'll follow him is the challenge. And then there's this fish, and you know we could spend a lot of time talking about the fish. Is it a whale? Is it a big fish? Is it the Loch Ness Monster? A wee bit disorientated? I'm not too worried about the fish, and to be honest, the fish only appears in the last verse. So the person who's teaching next week can talk about the fish a wee bit more if they really, really want to. But there's a couple of things I do know about the fish as I approach this story. I know that I believe in a God who made the heavens and the earth out of nothing. I believe in a God who died on a cross for me and rose from an empty tomb and lives victorious over sin in the person of Jesus. I believe in a God of miracles. And if I believe in that God, then do you know what? I can cope with a fish. And Jesus talks about Jonah. He talks about him as though Jonah is somebody that we need to sit up and listen to. And so we want to listen to the story of Jonah. If Jesus says, pay attention to Jonah, I will pay attention to Jonah. And you know, it's really clear to me that this fish is a place of grace for Jonah. It's a place of provision for Jonah. 
It's the place where he stops running. And he is given space to meet with God and to listen to God and to receive from God. And I'm not going to run ahead into chapter two. We'll look at that next week. But it's really clear that God is providing for Jonah. And Jonah can receive from the God who loves him and who cares for him. I don't know where Jonah ever thought that he could run from God's presence. Because, you know, Jonah's an Israelite, so he knows the Psalms. He knows the psalmist says in Psalm 139, there is nowhere that I can go from your presence, Lord. And yet Jonah has tried. And so God has brought him right up close. You and me, Jonah. You and me. Let's sort this out and go on to a new path. Because you no matter how far we run from God, he comes pursuing us and makes a way back for us. His provision is always for us. No matter our sin, our rebellion, or our disbelief. No matter our disobedience, no matter how long, no matter how bad, God provides for us through Jesus. The one who spent three days in the grave paying for our sin and rising again. He provides for us. No matter how much we resist his will for our lives, there's forgiveness available, which restores us to him and the purposes that he has for us. No matter where else we've looked for our answers, faith in God we can return to in an instant. Because we're welcome God's made it possible. God is an unrelenting, pursuing love for the people that he has made. You and me and every single person that we prayed for at these windows this morning and every single person that he made in his image. God pursues them and he loves them. And he loves them more than we can ever begin to imagine. So when we carry frustration that the people that we love, it feels like God is forgotten about, we can be reminded that God loves and he pursues and he makes a way back because he sends Jesus as he sent Jonah to bring that good news to a people who weren't wanting to hear but can come to know him because he pursues them. Do you know the impact if we don't go when God calls us could be massive. People won't be loved. The broken won't be healed. The hungry might not be fed. The poor might not be helped. The oppressed might not be freed. Or do you know they might be, but they won't get to know about the living God as it happens for them because God calls us to participate in his plans and purposes as he calls people to himself. I was reading last night as I was preparing for this what Jesus says in Matthew 25. Strong words in verses 34 onwards. It says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 